you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, it is the Word of God. Turn with me to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. Appreciate Jerry. Jerry, I woke up like Monday morning on vacation. I'm like, oh, I forgot to ask someone to introduce you. So I guess you you handled that well. Oh, did I ask Pat? Okay, so I, I, I don't even know. I, I was just like going to camp, taking a week, uh, remodeling your bathroom, going on vacation, picking up a car for your daughter on your way home from vacation is rather uh, disconcerting. So I feel good. I felt bad all, all the, the rest of my vacation because I thought I hadn't done that. So good, good deal. All right. So, Jerry, thank you for teaching. But we're back here in Elijah. Elijah, 1 Kings 21. Now, let me just start out by saying this. Remaining loyal in times of apostasy, that's what our series is about, is hard. In fact, it's real hard to remain loyal to the Lord when those around you are falling away from the Lord. And this is not just something in the past. This is something that's going on just this last week. Joshua Harris, the best-selling author of the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which might be like the greatest titled book in the history of the world, whether you agree with the content or not. And a former pastor of a conservative megachurch just announced that he's not only divorcing his wife, but he's also defecting from the faith. In his own words, he posted on his Instagram, which I guess this is now how you apostatize. You do it through Instagram and and social media. Here's what he said. The information that was left out of our divorce announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there is a different way to practice faith. And I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. I mean, that is a bold statement who has, of one who has been raised in the faith, taught the faith, taught others the faith, shepherd, and, and, and talked about. I mean, that is mind-blowing. This October, I will have been in vocational ministry for 29 years, all of it here at LifeBridge. And being in ministry that long means that, unfortunately, you have had a front row seat to seeing people fall away from the faith and become apostates. It happened early in my Christian life. My very first theology professor at Liberty, by the time I graduated, had fallen away from the faith. He was a Dallas grad with a Ph.D. in theology, and he had a lovely family, and he walked away from it all. I've seen people in our church who were respected leaders walk away from the Lord and deny Him and become agnostics. God, if He exists, we just can't know. I've seen young people who wanted to become missionaries in our church now fully deny Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I've grieved over the pain of people I personally looked up to and who spiritually invested me, who no longer attend church and at best are Christians in name only. 
I have listened to the sad story of a church member whose father was a pastor and even led his own children to the Lord only to eventually abandon his family and his faith in Jesus. And I find it interesting, and yet it makes sense that when you walk away from the covenant with the Lord, you walk away from your covenant in marriage oftentimes. Do you see that pattern? See, it's hard to remain loyal in times of apostasy. It's real hard when you see these kind of things and you see it increasing. But you know what's even harder than that? It's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's remaining loyal to the Lord when you have been unjustly treated for being loyal to the Lord. Okay, are you with me? What's harder than remaining loyal is when you are punished or persecuted for being loyal. All right? Are you with me? Unjust treatment. And in God's providence, uh, both upstairs and downstairs here, we're going to be talking about unjust treatment today. Have you ever been unjustly treated for being loyal to the Lord? I don't mean because of your foolishness. Okay, that happens. I mean because of your faithfulness. Such unjust treatment could come from a spouse, a family member, a co-worker, an employer, even another professing believer or a pretending believer. It could come from some authority, even from the government, and that's increasingly a reality. Well, it doesn't take long, does it, to live for the Lord in a loyal way and find out that you're going to get unjust, unfair treatment. If it hasn't already happened, please listen, it will happen. And if it's already happened to you, as it has to me, you you like to think, wow, that was so painful, that was my time, now I get to avoid that. No, it will happen again in the future. And maybe you're experiencing that unjust treatment right now. Well... Since that pretty much covers all of us, it's a good thing you're here to hear to, uh, what 1 Kings 21 has to say. And so what is 1 Kings 21 all about? Well, let me remind you of the context. The context is that this chapter is part of the last three chapters of 1 Kings, and it's all about the failure of Ahab, the apostate king of Israel. And it's a reminder of this. Apostasy fails to prevail because God's word rules over all. That's good news to be reminded of. Now, in 1 Kings 20, the apostate Ahab failed to execute God's brutal enemy. In this chapter, he fails to embolden the loyal remnant to remain faithful. Of course, why would he? He's faithless. Why would he embolden people? And yet he's in that position as the king of Israel. He ought to be imparting boldness and courage and conviction. And we're going to see instead he does the very opposite. So here's the big idea of this chapter. Here's the big idea of the lesson. There will be a payday someday. There will be a payday someday for those who rebel against the Lord by unjustly treating His loyal remnant. There will be a payday for those who unjustly persecute you for loving Jesus. Uh, one, one of the most, uh, uh, there's a famous sermon, Payday Someday, by a famous Southern Baptist preacher, R.G. Lee. 
that is a classic of, of that old style and listen to it again just to be reminded about this chapter. And, it, and his message was payday someday. That's what this is about. First Kings 21 is about a powerful apostate king who takes unfair advantage of a loyal believer in the Lord in order to get a hold of his grape vineyard and turn it into a veggie garden. Okay? The entire story is about who is going to own this piece of land. In fact, one uh, Bible student opens his study of this chapter with these words. They were only announcements. Listen to this story. They were only announcements. The clip in the newspaper said so. But in Paris, Tennessee, the high school's Christmas concert was canceled over them. A brawl erupted in the music department of Henry County High School. The chorus teacher apparently smashed the band director in the face with a chair. The chorus teacher was freed on a $1,000 bail after the band director filed aggravated assault charges. But why the disharmony between the music teachers? The men allegedly got into a fight over who would make announcements at the concert. Only announcements, but a whole lot of fallout. Well, that's what we're going to see in this story. Only a vineyard, but a whole lot of fallout. A whole lot of fallout. And what we're going to see is that the king wants it, but he doesn't need it, the vineyard. The owner possesses it, but is unwilling to let it go. He refuses to sell it or trade up for a better and bigger vineyard that the king offers. It's only a vineyard. But the fallout's going to be huge because King Ahab and his wicked wife are going to plot to kill Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, in order to steal his vineyard from him. It's only a vineyard. But you see, in reality... Naboth, well, here's what they do. They accuse Naboth of being disloyal to God and the king so that they can get him stoned. I don't mean like stoned. I mean like killed with stones. And so they say that he's disloyal. But in reality, he's not being disloyal by not giving up his vineyard. He's actually being loyal to the Lord. In fact, he's being completely obedient to the Lord. So it's interesting, we taught, we taught chapter 20 where Ahab is accused of being partial obedience. He's accused of not being completely obedient. And yet here we have Naboth, we're going to see this guy is completely obedient and yet he's going to be killed over it. Because you see, ultimately, this isn't about a vineyard. It's about being loyal to the Lord in the little things, even when it's a vineyard. Are you with me? In the process, we're going to learn that there's a payday someday for those who rebel against the Lord by treating His people unjustly. Someday, there will be vindication and there will be vengeance. So here's, here's the idea, here's the expanded idea. God's Word promises that one day there will be a payday when he pours out his vengeance on his rebel enemies in order to vindicate his elect remnant who remain loyal in spite of being treated unjustly. Now, I know that's a lot of words, but it's exactly what it's saying. So the idea is that there's a payday of vengeance for the rebel, and there's a payday of vindication 
for the loyal. Are you with? All right. So let's dive in. What's this mean? Here's what I want you to learn. I'm going to give you three truths to remember so that you remain loyal even when treated unjustly. Two, three truths to remember so that you can remain loyal because here's what happens. Here's what happens. First of all, it's hard to remain loyal when people are falling away because you feel like you're the only one. A constant theme in these stories. But, so the devil says, well, here's somebody that I can't discourage by others, so now I'm going to persecute them, treat them unjustly, then they'll fall away. And how many people do you know who have said these words? God wasn't fair to me. God, that this I didn't deserve it, and then they turn away from God. So here's three truths to not do that. Number one, remaining loyal results in suffering, injustice from the world, or in the world. What did I put? From the, it should be from the world, yeah. Remaining loyal results in suffering, injustice from the world. So the first truth is not to be surprised when it happens. All right, that's the first truth, and I'm telling you. Because here's the thing. You know if you've been taught much, and you have here, and you're going to be taught again this, you know it's coming, but you never expect it when it comes to you. That's the point. Well, I know I'm going to suffer that. I will suffer that. I'm kind of, you know. But, but and here's the thing. Not only do you not expect it, but you almost never expect it from the person it comes from. So here's the deal. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of this, of this. Of, the, uh, of this story. These first 16 verses teach this truth. And it's broken down uh, in, 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 in this way. So let's first of all look at the proposition by King Ahab to his neighbor Naboth. Neighbor, Naboth lived next to uh, King Ahab's summer palace. This isn't even his main palace in Samaria. It's in Jezreel. And they were next-door neighbors. How would you like to next-door neighbors, you know, with the apostate king? So here's the proposition. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. This really sets up everything else in the story. Let's look at it in your Bibles. Now, it came about, after these things, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, meaning this was his own property, his property in the promised land that God had given to him beside the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Pretty bold statement to be said to a king. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed. There's that word, bitter and angry. Because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed, turned away his face, and ate no food. Parents, remember that when your kids didn't do that? 
This is an adult doing that, all right? Now, that's rare. Okay, so let's look at the proposition. First of all, let's make three observations about it. First of all, the proposal by Ahab, the disloyal rebel, in verses 1 and 2. He cares nothing about the Lord and his subjects. Here's what I think the significance of the vineyard and the vegetable garden is. It's a real vineyard. It's a real vegetable garden. He wants to make this transaction. But you've got to remember in studying the Bible, the vineyard often represents the nation of Israel. And so what's happening here is it's a double picture for you that here's a king who's supposed to care for God's people and he wants to take the vineyard and turn it into something other than what God wants it to be. All right? So that's the idea. He's not caring for God. He's not caring for God's people. I don't care if this vineyard's yours. I want that vineyard for my purposes. In fact, I halfway think the reason he wants a vegetable garden is to feed these animals that he has consistently been care, you know, he's cared about animals more than people throughout this study. Okay, I don't know that. Maybe he just was a vegetarian. I don't know. But, but it's weird. This, this great growing, this wonderful vineyard, I want to turn it into a veggie garden. But here's what I want you to see about this proposal. Ahab wants what belongs to another. He wants Naboth's vineyard, but he wants to turn it into something different, something to satisfy his own desires for whatever reason. Now, this is what apostates always do. They want doctrine, but they want to distort it to suit their own desires. They want to be around God's people, but they want to defile them. They want, they say they want God, but they want to dethrone Him, and they want to deny His Lordship. All of that, I think, is packed into this idea. I want to take this, which is suited for this, and turn it into something for my own desires. Notice number two, the refusal by Naboth, the loyal remnant. What's significant about verse 3, his refusal? Well, first of all, his refusal is due to obedience. His refusal is due to obedience to the Lord and His Word. I gave you the verses from the law of God. I don't have time to get into all the background. The point is this. The land, that vineyard, represents God's faithfulness to His people. He redeemed them out of bondage and gave them the promised land. And then he gave each one of his people a parcel of land to represent his faithfulness, his promise of a future coming kingdom. And you were never, ever to sell that land or give that land away. Naboth is not being selfish. He's being loyal to the Lord and to his forefathers who were also loyal to the Lord. His refusal is due to being loyal, in your notes, to the little things. See, here's what he's saying in verse 3. I will not disobey the Lord or dishonor my family, even if it's only a vineyard. You see what I'm saying? He's being he's the very opposite of what Ahab was not in the other chapter. In the other chapter, Ahab was not careful to be obedient in the little things and execute the brutal enemy. Here's a man that says, even if it's a vineyard, even if you'll pay me, even if you'll give me a better one, I will be loyal in the little things, even if it's only a vineyard. Thirdly, his refusal is due to being loyal to the Lord, even when it's costly. Look, this guy is giving up greater money and more land to remain loyal. 
even if it's lonely, lonely. See, we keep getting these isolated incidents. He's not alone in being loyal, but when you're faced with the test, it seems like you're the only one. Are you... You understand what I mean? See, when it's my test, it's my decision. No one can really help. You know, he's all alone. I will not. I mean, this guy's going through life, living next to an apostate king, minding his own business, worshiping the Lord, until one day, out of the blue, unexpectedly, the king knocks on his door and says, Hey, I got a proposition for you. And it was a test of his loyalty, and he was ready for it. And we're going to find out why he was ready for it, even though it was unexpected. Thirdly, he's being loyal even when it's deadly. In those days, you don't say no to a king unless you're one courageous dude and you're serving a greater king. So here we see, as we're going to go through this, we're going to see the inner workings of everyone's heart. And in this case, we see the inner workings of Naboth's heart are revealed. He has a heart that is obedient, loyal, and filled with sacrificial love for God and for others, his forefathers. He's obeying the law. Put the, love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. All the table of the law. Honor your father and your mother. He's, he's got this kind of heart. But look at the heart of Ahab. Look at the emotional reaction in verse 4. Once again, Ahab responds with bitter resentment, stubborn rebellion of a hard heart. Now, in chapter 20, he did this when he, when he, got, when his, when he was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Now, and, and he was called out for being partially obedient. Now... His desires are being frustrated by someone who is completely obedient. And he's responding the same way. Both times the issue is in Ahab's heart. He wants things his ways, not God's ways. He wants his will to be done. He doesn't care about God's will and God's word. And so this time, just like in the last chapter, he goes home with a bitter, angry heart, but this time he goes to bed turns his face away, and refuses to eat. The inner workings of Ahab's heart is revealed. Stubborn, rebellious, bitter, and filled with selfish anger. There couldn't be a greater contrast between the two. So, we've seen their heart. What happens next? Let's look at verses 5 and 7 where we see the questions of Queen Jezebel to her pouting husband, Ahab. The questions of Queen Jezebel in verses 5 through 7. Notice what she says. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen, so resentful, so bitter, that you are not eating food? So he said to her, I mean, just you got to put on your poutiest voice. Because I spoke to Naboth, the, Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he said to me... Now, notice how he's going to distort Naboth's words. Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said... Now, notice how he distorts. I will not give you my vineyard. I will not give... You. See, just being stubborn. But who, in reality, is being the stubborn one? Ah. I will not give you the, my, the vineyard. Notice verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Basically, what kind of king are you? Who's king? 
You or him. Arise, eat bread. Let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. He, she speaks as though she is God. So let's look at this. Verse 5, the question. Why are you so bitter and pouting like a baby? Verse 6, the answer. Naboth refuses to give me his vineyard. He won't sell it or trade it even for a better one. I mean, Ahab's like saying, man, I'm being really gracious. Maybe he thought he was being godly. Man, I'm not taking it. I could take it. I'm willing to buy it for a lot of money and even trade it for a better one. And this stubborn, rebellious guy, here's what he said. I will not. Ahab projects his own stubborn refusal to obey God onto Naboth. Give you, you the king... He, he sees subversive rebellion, the same kind of rebellion that he has to God. He projects on Naboth, my vineyard. He sees his own selfish rejection of God projecting on Naboth. Do you see what's going on? This is what people do. When they rebel against God, they don't like to be around godly people, and they begin to project on those godly people the very heart issues of their own heart. This is simply Naboth's heart being projected. Something to remember. When you're being loyal and the disloyal attack you, it's often a projection. Question 7, verse 7. What kind of king are you? Are you king or not? And then comes the command. He doesn't, she doesn't even wait for the answer. Arise, eat bread. Now, you know in our story, this is something that God has repeatedly told Elijah to do. Get up, eat bread, be strong, and go do what I want. Jezebel's talking like a goddess. In fact, we're seeing a pattern. Every time Jezebel talks, she talks like she's God. Because that's what she believed. She was a goddess in her religion. And believe me, in our society, even in our secular society, when we reject God, guess what we become? We become our own little God. Somebody, you're going to have a God. And when you reject the true one, you either worship an idol or you worship yourself. So here we see the inner workings of Jezebel's heart are revealed. Arrogant, willful, speaks and acts like a goddess. And we see the inner workings of their marriage. It's a frightening marriage. It's a reversal of God's design. Ahab is the, is the stereotypical, rebellious, passive husband, and she is the stereotypical, domineering wife. This is what happens when a marriage isn't ruled by God's word. You have passive husbands and domineering wives. Now, what happens next? Well, in verses 8 through 14, we see the manipulation by Queen Jezebel against loyal Naboth. Look at verses 8 through 14. So she, here's how she's going to get that vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. So they're back in Samaria, and they're going to deal with this in Jezreel. Now she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and sit... Naboth at the head of the people, and see two worthless men before him, wicked men, men lacking character, and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city 
The elders and the nobles who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it's written in the letters which she had sent them. Here she is writing her own Bible, giving her own commands, and here's the people of Israel listening to this Baal-worshipping harlot and obeying her as though her word is God's word. They proclaimed a fast, and they seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men, do you see three times, these guys should not be listened to, and everybody knew it. This is going to be unjust. Men testified against him, even against Naboth. You know, the guy who's loyal in little things. Even against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside of the city and stoned him to death with stones. Verse 14. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Now, in this manipulation by Queen Jezebel, we see the inner workings of Ahab's leadership revealed. Ahab may be the head of the nation, but Jezebel is the neck that turns the head. She's the one that gets things done, okay? She does it through wicked manipulation and abuse of power. Now, let me show you three unjust things, because this is all about unjust treatment. Her manipulation exercises unjust authority. She writes letters in Ahab's name with Ahab's seal. She had no authority. She's abusing someone else's authority. And guess what? He's letting her do it. Number two, her manipulation encourages unjust accusations. Here are worthless men whose word should not be listened to, and yet everyone's going to act on them. And then, number three, her manipulation ends in unjust actions. A loyal, innocent man is stoned to death and shamed in front of his whole city. And we're going to see later, it's not just him. They kill all of his sons. Because if you want the inheritance, you've got to kill all the heirs. Okay. And so, 15 and 16, we now come to the possession of the land by King Ahab of Naboth's vineyard. Look at verses 15 and 16. It came about, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. Oh, no, no, no. Naboth is more alive than he's ever been. He's a believer. It came about that when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take position of it. Notice, his death is, in these short verses, his death is repeated five times, and his name is repeated six times. Because Naboth is not really dead, Naboth is still alive. And here's the idea. The unbeliever saying he's dead, it's a done issue. It's ours to take. But there's a living God, and Naboth's name lives on, right? Because he lives on. So that's the first truth. So the first truth is this. Look, this kind of stuff will happen. Don't freak out when it does. 
Don't give up on God when it does. Don't abandon the faith when it does. The all who live godly will suffer persecution. You will be treated unfairly. Don't freak out. Truth number one. Truth number two. Remaining loyal requires strengthening yourself in the Lord and His Word. Remaining loyal requires strengthening yourself in the Lord and His Word. Look at verses 17 and 18. The whole story is going to shift when God speaks. Notice verse 17. Then, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. And by the way, this is one of the mysteries of remaining loyal. Sometimes the word speaks and allows you to escape death. Other times the word speaks and allows you to endure death. You know, you're, you read the story and you're like, why didn't God speak to spare Naboth? Because that's not how it always works. So whether I die or live, I remain loyal because God's word rules over all. So notice what he says. Then the word of the Lord came and he said, arise, go. Remember how... Jezebel keeps saying, given orders. Well, now God is giving orders. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth. I know exactly what's going on. Where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? You see, the Lord knows what's going on. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. Whoa. So here, two takeaways real quickly on this. And I don't want... This is just like... These are extra. Number one, the spiritually weak allow injustice to spread. The spiritually weak allow injustice to spread. Think about this. No one stands up for Naboth. Here's worthless people. Here's obviously injustice is taking place. And here's a loyal man, and they all know his character, and no one speaks up. No one stops. But not only that, they participate in his stoning. Listen, spiritually weak people allow injustice to spread. But note this. Spiritually strong, the spiritually strong stand up to injustice. Even when it's costly, even when it's lonely, even when it's deadly. I find this fascinating. All throughout our series, God's loyal people have had to deal with death. Okay, so let me review real quick. Obadiah feared death and wavered in his obedience. Remember, Elijah said, go tell Ahab. And he's like, I can't be obedient. I might die. And he didn't have the courage until Elijah swore in the name of the Lord, until the word strengthened him. Obadiah feared death. Elijah desired death when he wavered in obedience, until the Lord spoke to him in the cave. Okay, So one guy feared death, one guy wrongly desired death. But both men were strengthened when the Lord spoke to them. Naboth here is enduring death with an obedient faith because we must assume he knew his God and he knew his word. Are you with me? 
See, unlike Ahab in chapter 20, who did not strengthen himself in the Lord to be obedient completely, we are seeing evidence of a man who must have strengthened himself in the Lord so that when the time came, he was obedient. And the good news is this. We have one who is greater than Naboth, Jesus Christ, who was obedient unto death, even the death on a cross, and the most just man on the planet endured the most unjust death for people like you and I who deserve judgment so that we would be declared just. Is that not the beauty of the gospel? That's just good news. So that brings us to the final part of this story, and here's the third truth. Remaining loyal reveals the sovereign God we worship. Remaining loyal reveals the sovereign God we worship, and that's really the rest of the story. The rest of the story reminds us it's not about a vineyard. It's about the great God we serve and how our loyalty... When we are treated unjustly, reveals the kind of God we actually worship. Are you with me? All right, let's look at it. We worship a living God whose word rules over our over all. His word will vindicate the loyal and pour out vengeance on the disloyal. Here's what I want you to see: that remaining loyal when you are treated unjustly reveals that we worship a big God. It reveals that we worship a big God. I see that in verses 17 and 18. Once again, listen to me. Once again, the Lord is saying, I see all, I know all, I rule over all. Naboth, so listen. God is all-knowing. He knows about your unjust treatment. God is all-present. He is with you in your unjust treatment when you feel all alone. And God is all-powerful. He will deliver you whether through death or out of death. You know, whether by escape or endurance, He will get you through it. That's just good news. That's verses 17 and 18. Number two. Remaining loyal when treated unjustly reveals that we worship a just God. Verse 19 is all about payday someday. See, here's the deal. I can remain loyal to God even when I'm treated unjustly, even when I don't see the the unjust person being punished because I know one day they will reap what they sow. See, I know there's a judge. And I know justice will come. And in faith, I will endure. And I don't have to stand up for myself. I don't have to lower myself to their standards. I don't have to whine. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to gather a coalition around me to say, look how bad they are. See, I can just release that because I have a just God. And everybody will reap what they sow. So maybe I should be less worried about the unjust people and keep guarding my own heart. Number three, When we remain loyal, when treated unjustly, it reveals that we worship a jealous God. A jealous God. This is verses 20 through 26. Man, in verses 20 through 26, 
the Lord just takes it to Ahab and he takes it to Jezebel. And he just pours out a prediction of judgment that is going to come. I mean, the dogs are going to lick your blood. You have shamed my loyal worshiper and I will shame you. And just as the dogs licked up that poor man's blood under those stones, the dogs will lick your blood one day, and I will see to it. Because we have a jealous God who will not share his glory with another. Jezebel, you think you're God? I am God. There is no other God. Ahab, you think you can disregard my word and my rule as my representative? I will have my glory for the good of my people. Man, that's just powerful stuff. And then the question becomes, whose side are you on? See, when Elijah comes to to Ahab to say the word of the Lord, here's what Ahab says, Oh, my enemy, have you come? That's not your enemy. That's God's man. That That ought to be your friend. See, here's the question this morning. Whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? Or are you an enemy of the Lord? Whose side are you on? But notice the last point, and it's this. Remaining loyal when treated unjustly reveals that we worship a merciful God. We worship a merciful God. God lays down this judgment on Ahab, but notice verse 27. This is how the story ends. It came about that when Ahab heard these words of this this judgment, not only on him, but on his household. Why? Because they they killed Naboth and his household. Now his household is going to be killed. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted, and he laid in sackcloth, and he went about despondently. He humbled himself. He feared God. Verse 28. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tisbite saying, I love this. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? He's like nudging. He's like, Elijah, look at that. Look at that. This proud man has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring this evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. couple things. One, he hasn't repented. He's merely humbled himself. But even in that humbling, God is so eager to show mercy in judgment. Let me say that again. God is so eager to show mercy in judgment that He is willing to delay the judgment, but not deny it. Are you with me? Because this isn't repentance, this is humbling. So let me end with this. This last verses, this merciful God in the midst of judgment, points us to the cross. And it shows us the inner workings of God's heart are revealed at the cross. Beloved, we have a God who delights in showing mercy while dispensing justice. And that's the cross. Judgment poured out on sinners to show mercy to those who will repent and come to Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So this is our God. 
Justice, mercy meets in a holy God who provides a substitute in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's what I leave you with. There's going to be a payday someday. A payday for the rebellious. So here's my encouragement to you. I presume I know no one's heart. If you're God's enemy today, humble yourself today. Humble yourself and He will show you mercy. Because there is a payday someday. And it will come. And next week we'll see that it comes. But there's also a payday for the elect remnant. If you have been born again, you're a part of God's faithful remnant. So strengthen yourself to remain loyal because there's coming a payday of reward for you. You say, Naboth, he got the, you know, he got the, the, the wrong end of the stick. He not only didn't get the vineyard, he died. Oh, but he got a greater inheritance in the kingdom to come. And he got a greater reward in the kingdom to come. Naboth didn't meet God saying, that was really rotten you leaving me to be stoned. He's like, oh no, Lord. First of all, I'm a sinner who deserves stoning, but you have shown me mercy. And you strengthened me to remain loyal unto death. Why? So here's, I just end with this. Listen, beloved, we don't know when our time of, of testing's coming. So what do we do in the meantime? We strengthen ourselves in knowing our God and in His Word. Strengthen yourself. in the, Do what Ahab didn't do. Do what Naboth must have done. Do what Jesus did. He was God. He was the Word. And He was faithful unto death. Is that good? I know some of you are being treated unjustly. I know that. So remain loyal and get in the word and quit trying to rally the troops around you. Quit crying out to others. I mean, that's not wrong, but are you crying out to God? That's the key. That's the key. Let's pray. Father, wow, what a powerful chapter. What a powerful reminder. Lord, may we take these three truths... Write them, put them on our mirror, put them in our Bible, because, Lord, we're all who remain loyal going to need them. And we're going to need them when we least expect it, and we're going to be treated unfairly by the most unexpected of people at the most unexpected of times. So, Father, I pray that this lesson, that we will be Naboths, we will be Naboths who remain loyal, because we are strong in you and strong in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's August. You can still read your Bible this summer. You can still get on a reading plan. Let me encourage you to do that. Better yet, or not better yet, also read a theology book.